Children, you may be dismissed. Uh, before you sit, if you have served in the military in any way, please stand. Please remain standing. The rest of you can have a seat. Those of you who have served in our military, we just want to thank you. Monday is a holiday in honor of you, and so we thank you. We thank you very much. Those of you who have served, if you ever question why you served, it's a small picture, just like we just sang, that you've taken the place of many people uh, so that we can come here and worship in the public school in relative safety. Uh, So thank you very much. Well, today we are finishing the Beatitudes, um, but I wanted to begin with a another verse just to kind of set the context. Uh, And it's not up there. It just came to me when we were singing. But I was thinking of the book of James where he says, consider it all joy, brothers or brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I was just thinking this week, I... um, I have a, some dear, we have some dear friends in Texas. Uh, my, the Mike Shear is his name. His wife's name is Carrie, and she has got cancer. And she sent an email to us and to her friends and just quoted Andrew Murray that she is here um, by God's appointment, under his training, in his keeping, for his time. And she was just quoting that, just saying she doesn't understand fully why this came to her, but she's not going to fight it. In fact, she's going to do what uh, James tells her to do, is to rejoice when many trials come. And trials come in different ways. They come in afflictions that happen to us just because we live in a fallen world, and then they come in persecutions. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's the last of the Beatitudes, the, those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake. Let me read the entire section, uh, plus a few more verses, and then I will pray and we'll get started. In chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, we want you to receive glory. 
We want our lives to reflect the good works of the Holy Spirit within us, that people see his fruit bore in our life. We want to reflect these beatitudes to our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, so that they see the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would make us, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, that you would make us worthy of the calling and establish in us all these characteristics. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Persecution. Jesus says we are to rejoice in it. Uh, Be full of joy when you're persecuted. I wanted to read you this quote that ends this uh, series, and it ended the commentary on this series. Throughout the Beatitudes, Jesus delivers blow after blow to moralism, saying you cannot and you do not have what it takes, nor can you muster up what it takes to be blessed. Now we see this final blow, and it may be the strangest yet. For here he says that the really enviable people in the world, those who know objectively happy circumstances, are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That takes the cake, is what he says. That throughout all these uh, eight verses, he says, this is the one when you hear, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice. There's the first commandment you get in the Beatitudes. Rejoice and be glad. So what is persecution? That's what we're going to talk about today, but I, I don't want to talk about it without first making in mention of our brothers and sisters who truly face physical persecution in their lives. Uh, we'll talk about them later on, but uh, the disclaimer here is we're not going to just make light of their condition and their persecution throughout the world, but I don't want us to overlook the fact that we may be persecuted in some way. We live in a fairly safe area of the country. We worship in a public school and a gymnasium, yet we could, and you're going to see from the Bible, should, should, not, not maybe, but should face persecution. And we need to think of it from a biblical standpoint, and Jesus doesn't, like he always does, he doesn't leave us hanging. Uh, we need to understand what, it, what are the effects on our joy, how do we suffer, and he tells us right here in Matthew Five, chapter, or verse 10, 11 and 12, and then he shows us what we should be to the world. If you were following along and taking notes, the outline of this would be um, the second bookend, because verse 10 is a bookend to chapter 3. There's this sprawling bridge that Jesus expands on this idea of persecution. And then I called it the sodium beacon, that Jesus says we're to be salt and we're to be light. So what is all that? How does all that fit Follow along here in verse 1 and 2. He sets the context. Seeing the crowds in 425, great crowds were following him. Here's Jesus, aware of his surroundings. He went up on a mountain and he sat down. And his disciples came to him. Here he is and he goes and he takes the position of authority. Here in our day, we stand. In their day, they sat down. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Here is Jesus in a crowd of many people speaking to his disciples about the truth of the Christian life. And the other bookend, verse 3, is kind of where this begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, as we've talked week after week. It's about having found favor with God, not because you've earned it, nor because you deserve it, because he is a God full of grace. And it says, blessed are, it's a state of being. It should be a reflection of who you are. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven talks about this idea of royalty comes to those who are, who are poor in spirit, those who have poverty of soul, those who are beggars of God. 
And then in 4 through 9, you see, these, you see a different take. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Every single time, they shall be. They shall. They shall. They shall. They shall. They shall. And it's the idea that blessed are the poor in spirit. There's is, there's in some sense that you and I positionally have the kingdom of heaven. John 5, 24 says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you have present tense eternal life. But there's a coming aspect of it that we don't fully experience here. It's the already not yet language. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about that. We are already and not yet what we will be. We are already fully free, but we're not yet permanently and totally free. We are, as Paul would say in Philippians 3, citizens of heaven, but we're living on earth. It's a paradox that's only seen by eyes of faith. And then we come to the final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And you see it connects to three. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are those bookends. That Jesus sees those who are persecuted, those who are poor in spirit, as royalty. The idea of persecuted there is to make or to make run or flee, to harass. You see it in Acts 8.1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so... Jesus says, you're truly happy, not just a surface happiness, but you're truly happy when you're harassed. You're truly happy. You're seen as royalty. And and it's fitting that he ends his beatitudes with this one. Because in some sense, they all lead to this. The brokenhearted beggar of God, the poor in spirit, recognizes their dependence on God, and then they mourn over their sin and the sin of the world around them. And then they are then meek. They are humble and confident, but they're not weak. They're meek. And they realize they are nothing apart from Jesus. It is then then they're hungry and they thirst for righteousness. And then they get satisfied on the things of God and they become merciful. They're tender to others. They're pure in heart. Down in the deepest core of their being, they are honest with the world. They're honest with themselves. They don't put on a show. They're not like the Pharisees who have nice whitewashed tombs, but they're honest. It leads them to being peacemakers. They, they are merciful to others. They're honest, and they're honest enough, honest enough to say, we've got to make peace between us. And they're honest enough to go to the lost and say, you need to make peace with God, which leads to, blessed are those who are persecuted. When you and I go do the ultimate peacemaking work. When we go out from these doors and we go into the world and we go right into that neighborhood and we go right down there to that street and we go to Christmas on Broadway and we say, this isn't just a holiday season. This is about Jesus Christ. We will face persecution. It's guaranteed. Jesus said it like this in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, that's an interesting phrase because Jesus was called the friend of sinners. He he was looked upon as the world as the good teacher. And there is a paradox here that we are to be winsome like Jesus and offensive like Jesus. Right? 
winsome and offensive. That, that eyes of faith can't see that, but we can. We're to be winsome and offensive. He said, they're going to hate you. If, the wor- if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And he goes on and he says, I have waited to tell you this so that when you are persecuted, you'll remember what I've said to you. Jesus said it's a fact. And Paul agreed with him. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a fact. So the question is, if we're not being persecuted for our faith, why? It's a question we need to consider. And Peter said there's a way to suffer persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, Beloved, speaks tenderly to them. This is Peter. I love Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Just like Jesus, he says, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Are we facing persecution? If not, why not? I guess we could say, similar to uh, death and taxes, persecution is guaranteed and it's not to be avoided. It's not to be avoided. We don't go seeking it, but we don't avoid it. And the way we can avoid it is becoming a little more middle ground on where we stand on certain things. Do we face this? If not, why not? And would we know what to do if it happened to us? Because Jesus doesn't leave us without instruction. He tells us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, not just to be persecuted um, like some believers because they have spiritual BO. They get riled up for all the wrong reasons and they stand and they do picket signs as if that's going to change the world's hearts. But Jesus tells us, blessed are you. He's a good pastor. He's now starting to to personalize this. He's kept it up here. Blessed are those. And now he says in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You will notice the change in pronouns. He goes from, from they to you. He's personalizing it. And we receive persecution in many forms, but they come primarily in verbal and physical persecution. And there is something I thought of this morning as social persecution. Uh, our brothers and sisters in countries where uh, it, they're in countries where there are other religions that are the primary religions of those countries, they face much physical persecution. I will read you some of that here in a minute. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we live in a country not like that. But we still can face social, social alienation, verbal persecution. Um, if you go and you share your faith with an atheist, you're bound and guaranteed to be persecuted for believing in, how could you be so silly as to believe in a God? I mean, just look around you. Evolution speaks for itself. You are a Bible thumper. You're a nut. 
Have you faced that? Persecution includes insults and attacks, and persecution should be a result of righteous living. Notice it says persecuted for righteousness' sake. When you they say all kinds of evil falsely on my account, that people know us as believers in Jesus. It's about him. It's not about us. Uh, Peter goes on to say, I don't know if I have it up there, but Peter goes on to say in that 1 Peter 4, that, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When we encounter persecution, not to the extent that Christ died on the cross, but we share in his sufferings, we get a, we get a taste. Oh, you did this for me. But many of us don't want to face persecution so we can sidestep the truth. And like I said earlier, there's a paradox that we should be the most winsome people in the world and the most offensive when it comes to speaking of the truth of where reality is and where our world is headed, how it's been heading that way. And to take a stand for marriages, to take a stand for babies, to take a stand for things that our world is going in the opposite direction of what the Bible says. And we need to, with love, say that's wrong. Killing babies is wrong. Gay marriage is wrong. Another sermon for another day, but we've got to be able to say it's wrong and to face persecution for it. That there may be some people who walk out of here today and say, I'm not going back to that church because of what they think about that issue. And as long as it's done in love, We'll face it. We don't want to mock or make fun, but we do want to stand for the truth. Life begins at conception. Whether you believe in evolution or whether you believe in creation. Now, I don't lean to this other side, okay? Hear that. But either way, gay marriage is unnatural. Scientifically speaking, It's unnatural, and so we've got to be able to say that with love. And then we're going to be persecuted for it. And when we're persecuted for it, Jesus gives the first command of the Beatitudes. Rejoice. Be glad. Do we believe that? Do we live that way? Or do we grumble and complain and seek ways to, man, I don't want to ever have that happen again. I know my tendency is fight or flight. I want my reflex to be rejoicing. You mean to tell me you believe in that issue and you're telling me because you believe there is a God who created us and he revealed it to us in his word and that's what you're standing on? I do. We're to be happy with harassment. And Jesus tells us why. For your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 12. Your reward is great in heaven. It's not small. Just a little bit of, just a little bit of reward. It is great. It is a prize to be received. And notice what he says. Your reward is great in heaven. We may never see any of that on earth. I think that's one of the things that 
many people get confused as if they, they, the world has been told that if you're a believer, life becomes perfect. That's just not true. In fact, it could become worse. In other countries, it is worse. It's a, you're signing your own death certificate. He says, you're great as your reward in heaven. That is what we should be. Honestly, I think as much as churches want to begin every year talking about the Bible and talking about prayer, I love those things. I think, and maybe I'm making this decision right now, every year we should have one week, maybe two, dedicated to talking about heaven. This is where we're going. And it's going to be great. Because in John 17, 3, guess what our reward is? Guess what our reward is? It's Jesus himself. John 17, 3 tells us this is eternal life, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say this is eternal life, golf without end. It doesn't say this is eternal life, mountain bike without end. It doesn't say this is eternal life, you get to eat whatever you want. We often get that confused. Oh, heaven's going to be this place of just toys and trinkets. No, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Isn't that wonderful? Great is our reward. It's not small, and it guess what? It goes on forever. And then he gives us another reason. So not only do we have a, a, a future, a great reward in heaven, but we're connected to the past, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You can go all the way back to Abraham and he was persecuted for his faith and you come all the way through to Malachi and you see in Acts, Stephen is stoned for his faith and he says, just like his Savior, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Peter, I love Peter. Here's a guy who in one, one paragraph, we don't know exactly how many minutes, so let's just say it was in, within an hour. In one hour, he says, you are the Christ. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And a little while later, he says, you're not going to have to die on a cross where Jesus has to say to the leader of the church, get behind me, Satan. And he goes on and he denies him three times. Not one time, three times. Then he's restored. And then he leads this group of 12 men who become hundreds and thousands of people. And then he writes two letters helps author another gospel. And Jesus tells him in John 21, you're going to go where you don't want to go. Tradition says he didn't want to be, he was crucified. He said, I don't even want to be crucified in the way Jesus was. Turn me upside down. That's Stephen. That's Peter. And I can go throughout church history. I just printed it off this morning. Five pages. James, Stephen, Peter, Paul, Paul, as attested by Ignatius, was beheaded. Mark, Philip, Andrew, Jude, Bartholomew, Thomas, Simon the Zealot. You've got Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Joan of Arc. And I picked out a few just to talk about. John Huss, long before Calvin and Luther and those that gave us the Protestant Reformation, there was John Huss who would not bow to the papal edicts. He said, we're going to follow the Bible. And they said, if you do not recant, you will be burned at the stake. And his reply was, I'm ready to die. Can you and I say that? I hope we can say that with confidence, maybe with a little 
fear of what might happen, but I hope we can say, I'm ready to die. If there were to be men come in here right now with guns, I'm ready to die. Calvin, literally persecuted out of France. That's why you get Geneva, Switzerland, this this beautiful place on earth, is because Calvin was persecuted and chased out of France. Bloody Mary, the Queen of England, the the reason you have that name, Bloody Mary, is because she was trying to reestablish the Catholic roots in that country. And she was killing off all the Protestants. John Bunyan, you read his story of the Pilgrim's Progress, wrote that while in prison for preaching the gospel. And we've talked about that here before, and we talked about that in our Sunday school class, that we, we, the elders of this church, have a plan so that should I be up here and preaching something that someday might be against the law, there's a plan. I was at a conference four years ago and they were talking about pastors and pastor's wives. And Mark Dever, one of my favorite pastors, was talking to pastor's wives. And he says, well, really, you don't ask about, you know, what are the benefits and all that that come with the packages. Are you ready to be a single mom if your husband goes to jail? Jim Elliott. 1956, goes to South America, to the Aka Indians. You've seen it in End of the Spear. He goes there to share the good news. He goes in peace. In fact, he was a pacifist, as as I read this week. He goes to share peace with this, this tribe, and he thinks he's getting somewhere, and then they turn on him and they shoot him. And then his wife follows it up, doesn't quit, and goes down there, and through her ministry, they become converted. You can see it all in End of the Spear. And by God's grace and for God's glory, I don't know why it happened, but we were leading a singles ministry in Texas, and Ashley was part of a women's retreat, and this one lady who was putting it on had a friend named Margaret Ashmore, and Margaret Ashmore just happened to be bringing a friend, and it's a women's retreat. Found out the friend was Elizabeth Elliot. So I said, look, I'm a pastoring these young ladies, so I, I probably ought to go and just make sure the retreat is going off without a hitch. Hello, how are you? And thank you for what you did, not to quit, right? Easy thing could have done is they took my husband. But she goes and she follows it up. Persecution is going to come. Persecution, according to Peter, according to Paul, according to Jesus, should happen. Who persecutes us? There's two main groups of people that persecute Christians. The irreligious, who don't want our morals, and they say, you are no better than us, and we say, you're right. And the religious, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, and they're religious here uh, in our day who say, my morals get me to heaven. I keep certain uh, rules. I attend certain things, and that's what's going to get me to heaven. And we say, oh, no. The Beatitudes say, oh, no. There's only one command. There's only one command. Rejoice and be glad. When, you, when your life exhibits the life of Christ. And so he ends with a picture Two pictures, actually. 
You are the salt of the earth. This is the end of his introduction. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salt is, saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the same house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt delays the decay. It's about preservation. It's used for uh, many things, but in the New Testament times, it was used basically for two things. Number one, primarily it was a preservative. It was to preserve. They didn't have refrigerators, so to preserve meat, they added salt. Salt never loses its properties, but when it becomes contaminated with other things, it has to be thrown out. And that's why Jesus says, you don't want to become contaminated with the world. You want to go into the world. You want to mix with the world. You don't take the properties of the world. You're in the world, not of the world, but you preserve the world from decay, right? And it's, when you think about salt, it's not about the salt. It's about the object of the salt. You go home today, if you were to have some corn on the cob, you don't pick your teeth and go, man, that was some good salt. It enhances the flavor. And so we go and we enhance, they don't want to see us necessarily, but they want to see Jesus And light, we're to be lights to the world. Notice he says, a city on the hill and in a lampstand, it's, it's about location, it's about function. The lamp functions in the world as to give light to the whole house. And he chose salt and light because all houses have them. How many of you don't have salt in your house? Aha, see? How many of you have a house full of darkness? Aha, See? And so he says, these are the things. You delay the decay and you dispel the darkness. And he says, you're a city on the hill because salt doesn't just work. You don't, you don't put salt like on, corn on the cob today. I don't know why I'm thinking corn on the cob. I am. You go and you don't just put a sprinkle of salt. You, it works in community. You put a bunch of salt on there. And light, you need a bunch of light. A city on the hill. And so he calls us to a location. He calls us to a function. A city set on the hill to be a dark light on the countryside. We're to be like a lighthouse to show a culture drifting at sea without an anchor and without a captain. Don't wreck your life. In fact, I saw this. A U.S. Navy aircraft carrier was uh, going off the coast of Newfoundland, signaled to the bridge that their ship seemed to be getting dangerously close to an approaching unknown vessel. The captain promptly got on the radio. This is the U.S. captain gets on the radio to this unknown vessel. And he says, please divert your course five degrees to the south to avoid a collision. To which this unknown operator says this, recommended you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. The U.S. captain says this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The unknown operator says, no, I say again, you divert your course. The U.S. captain says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Coral Sea. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. Divert your course now. To which the unknown radio operator says, this is a lighthouse. Your call. And America is like that U.S. Navy captain, pridefully correcting the truth of the gospel. And we're called to be radio operators for Jesus saying, this is the true light. We're not moving. 
Do we do that? Do we do that? I'll end with this. Read an article this week. Well, so these are the Beatitudes. Are they commands? Or not commands? They are not commands directly. They are statements of fact. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But there's an implied command in it that you and I cannot do apart from the work of the Spirit in our life. So I think it's only appropriate that he ends his Beatitudes with rejoice and be glad. For we're called to bow the knee to Jesus. We're called to be a light for Jesus. We're called to be salt for Jesus. But we cannot do that on our own. We must cry out to God and say, God, I am not poor in spirit. Make me poor in spirit. God, I don't mourn like I do over my sin. If there is one thing, and I talked to a buddy of mine this week who pastors a church in Texas. He said, if there's one thing we need to uphold and uplift in the church right after God's grace, so we're beginning with God's grace, it's total depravity that we don't fully understand how deep the sin is within our hearts. And when we don't understand the depravity of our hearts, then we really don't get the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God, make me one who mourns over my sin and the sin of the world around me. Make me meek. Make me hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't want to hunger and thirst for anything else that's out there. I don't want to lose uh, my, my hunger for you, for other things, for things of this world that are so tempting for money that comes with a job, for the toys that come with the money, for um, a unique life that's no persecution because I'm just comfortable and I do my own thing. Oh God, make me hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for holiness, for purity. Make me merciful. Make me pure in heart. Make me a peacemaker. Make me one who's so winsome and offensive that when I go out and I speak your truth, They say like they said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Pause for effect. Or till I turn there. They say something. It's in the Bible. I know it. It's in that chapter. Aha! If they, they made a law against Daniel and they said, we cannot make anything against him or we must make it against he and the law of his God because his character was such that he lived a righteous life before them, but he never gave up on the truth. In fact, his friends in a couple chapters before where King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, my friends, you have... To bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this. Will you bow down to me? We have no need to answer you. If this be so, our God whom we serve will deliver us. They were confident. He will deliver us. And ultimately, beloved Christian saints of Eagle Bible Church, God will deliver us. That's why we need to talk about heaven more. But if not, greatest three words in that whole book, but if not, if God doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, 
that we will not serve or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let us be like Daniel and let us be like Daniel's friends in a day today where the world needs the truth. The world longs for the truth. Listen to it in the music. Listen to it on TV. Hear it in the news. There's a cry going out. We want something. And then give them the truth. And if they say, that's not the truth that we want, say, if not, we will not serve any other gods. There's only one. And he sent his son at the perfect time to redeem those who are under the law so that they might live forever with him. Father, your word tells us in 2 Timothy that this world is going from bad to worse. Maybe this sermon, Lord, is preparatory. Maybe there are some here today, maybe on the high school campus or in their jobs who are facing persecution. God, protect them. Give them uh, humility and a confidence that's unnatural, that's supernatural, that comes straight from the Holy Spirit's work in their life and let them stand for the truth. And for those in here who may not be facing persecution, I pray that this sermon would be one that would help them when the time comes. Help us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Help us to be like Daniel. Enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. Give us the grace to reflect to the world these beatitudes. Give us the strength to stand up to them when we are persecuted. And give us the joy to know that it's all worth it pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those men who are helping with communion would come forward. Thanks, Judd. Um, The persecution that we endure oftentimes is is as blatant and as bold as as, uh, neighbors or governments or uh, principalities that stand against us. And uh, that's very real. But sometimes the uh, persecution that we suffer and endure really...